Okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all I need. Yeah, all right, good. I am still so excited about John. I am still so excited about what he's teaching and how I now know that his whole objective is to make sure that you and I know who he is. And I saw it again today. And when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if you only knew who and I thought, there's the key. If you only knew. So why are we here? Because we want to know. What happens if you don't know something? What happens if you don't know it? You miss it, right? If you don't know it, you'll miss it. And so we don't want to miss anything he has for us. So, so um, he, John's whole gospel is to make sure we know who Jesus is so we can utilize we can utilize all what he has for us. And if we don't know what he's got for us, we will miss it. So, um, and then how we change the water to wine. How many of us thought that that, that miracle was um, uh, just, you know, kind of something to, well, see, it shows we can have a little wine now and then. You know, it's just kind of... Do you know that that whole miracle, the first miracle, the very first miraculous sign, because John only tells seven of them, only seven, and the first one is in his first part of his ministry to show you and I that he came to change us. He came to take plain old water like you and I and change us into wine. He came, he came to change us so we could be from lost to found, from hopeless to hope. So he came to change. That, that whole miracle, the premise is to show that he came to change us. And then, and then, um, and that is our conversion. We, we know that our change can only come when we come to the cross and we are willing to accept him as our savior. I mean, we know that. Those are, that's gospel 101. And I heard so many comments about last week's lesson. And as much as I would love to say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm saying that's how good the gospel is. And I think it was so plain last week that you were, you were in awe of it, you know? I think that's the gospel. Sometimes we, we cover it up or we color it up or we, or we, you know, mask it among other things. And what you heard last week was just the simple gospel message of a Savior. And I think it just excited all of us. And, and so our conversion is so important. And then the cleansing of the temple, I mean, that, that was, you know, that's, that was something. But... That also meant that we need to be cleansed every now and then. I mean, unfortunately, self gets in the way, and we and we start going our our old ways, and um, we need Jesus to to take that whip of cords and say, "Sorry to have to do this to you, but." I love you too much to get let you keep going that way. So we need to be cleansed. And then last week to us about the choice, the whoever, whoever, he did it. He did. He came for the world. He came for you. He came for me. He came for Gentiles. He came for Jews. He came for Samaritans. He came for everyone. But whoever wants it, it's, your, it's yours. Whoever takes it will experience eternal life with him. Whoever doesn't, so you're a whoever no matter what. 
And whoever doesn't, well, they're going to experience the wrath of God in their life. So, I mean, he makes it so plain. So there's no question. And, and John said in John 1, I'm going to show you who he is, and I'm going to make sure you know who you are. And there's darkness and there's light. And if you want the light, it's right there. But you've got to desire it. You've got to want it. You've got to, you got to um, um, go for it. And, and it's not just facts. Today's lesson, I think it's John is saying through Jesus, I want to make sure you get it. I want to make sure you get this. It's not just religion. Last week we saw Nicodemus. I mean, he was about as um, prestige and social and education and, and um, influential and religious. You couldn't get a, a more um, important man showing that he had every quality that the world could possibly give. I mean, he, he was a no-brainer. He was looked up to. He had worked himself into quite a place of prominence. And yet, I said, try looking at it as West Michigan and see how we can sit in our churches and be religious and influential and um, intellectual and, um, and yet not get it. And so he used Nicodemus last week as a, an example on that end of the spectrum. And then today, you see the Samaritan woman. And, and you know, um, I found something about that. Um, I always knew a Samaritan was someone who was a Jew that married a, a foreign, a foreigner, a pagan. That was a Samaritan. But um, I found out it's even, it's even more than that. Um, it started way back when the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity to, by the Babylonians. And do you know that there was a section of people that the Babylonians didn't want? So when they took Israel into captivity, when they took the kingdom of Judah, Israelites from that kingdom into captivity, there was a segment of people that they didn't want. I mean, you're talking about the lowest of the low. I mean, they didn't even want them, so they left them behind. So the Samaritans originated when they were the lowest of the low of the Jews, and then infiltrated into other nations, and then they married foreigners. So I think that even helps you understand even more why a Samaritan was so, um, oh, they were so, in fact, they were thought of worse than a Gentile. They were just not liked. And that's why when people wanted to go from Judea, Jerusalem, to Galilee, they would walk an extra humpteen miles just so they didn't have to go through the town. They did not want to be associated with these. I mean, you're talking the scum of the earth. I mean, the Babylonians didn't even want them. So now you've got the lowest of the law, and you see that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to. He had to. And really, he didn't have to, because most, most Jews didn't. They went around. So when you read this, it just shows how Jesus will come after us. He loves us, and he doesn't care if you're a Nicodemus or he doesn't care if you're a Samaritan woman. And I think that the Samaritan woman, the reason we don't know her name and we don't really know her sin 
I mean, we can kind of, uh, kind of assume a little bit that she was used and abused and, and, and rejected and all that. But really, um, we don't know. It's a story that fits you and I perfectly. It is so our story because really, you know, what did, what did Paul, when Paul, when he really started understanding God's grace, who he was, what he did, and then God saved him and he met Jesus and what did he call himself? The worst of all sinners. He called himself the worst of all sinners. And there is something when you realize you're the worst of all sinners you know, because he was a hierarchy Pharisee. I mean, he was looked up to by the world, by the people. And yet he called himself the worst of all sinners. And I think this story really should, you know, we can relate because that's every one of us. I think in the first three chapters, we've seen that we are one of the world. We are one of the every. We are one of the all. And no one, we're one of the no one, is going to enter the kingdom of God unless we've been born again. And born again is a whole whole new person. Remember Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. We're different. Born again. Born of water the first time. Born of the Spirit the second time. And it changes you. And that's what he came to do is change us. So... Here's John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. Now, I don't know why that ticked them off so much. I mean, what, what would they care? I mean, I, I think they were already starting to be threatened by Jesus. And now the people are starting to follow Jesus, and this is making them nervous. And then it's appalling to them that the disciples of Jesus, those measly fishermen and a tax collector, mind you, they're baptizing people. I mean, I'm sure they were aghast. You know, how could people like that be in authority to baptize other people? So they are already starting to get upset. And Jesus knows that. And he knows his timetable. And he does not want that confrontation, so he just says, let's move on to Galilee. And so they move on to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. <laughs> that is so beautiful. He just had to stop there. He just had to um, get a drink at 12 noon. He just had to. And that's how much he loves you and me. Now, did you notice last week, he was one-on-one -on -one with Nicodemus, just one-on-one. -on -one. Now, with the Samaritan woman, he was one-on-one -on -one with her, too. Even sending his, his disciples into town, he knew he wanted this time with this woman. Why? Because he had to touch her. He had plans for her. He had to um, show himself to her. He, he had to convict her. He will show himself to her, but she has got to be honest with him. See, there's that two-way street again. And so um, he's got to start communication. He's got to start that 
contact. And he knows just how to do it. He knows us so well. He knew the approach with Nicodemus. He knew how to, how to get him in conversation. And he has a beautiful way of getting into conversation with her. So it says that he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. You know, that too, the more you dig, Old New Testament ties so beautiful because that, that, was, a, a bit, that was a really um, important stop there. This portion of land, this little piece, this where Jacob made a well. There's so many good things. Abraham, when he, um, in Genesis 12, he settled here. Um, Jacob bought a piece of property that gave, he gave it to Joseph. Joseph's bones were carried from Egypt to this place to be buried. I mean, this was an important Old Testament tie so it shouldn't even surprise us how old and new so go hand in hand and how um, this whole, it, it's all about this whole, it's like the finale here. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what the whole Old Testament was about, to get the Savior here to be able to save a woman who's a sinner. So um, it was just, it's just beautiful when you, when you see this, how it all comes so perfectly together. These details, these beautiful details. So um, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from, from the journey. He was tired. Huh. He got tired right at 12 noon at Jacob's well. And, and was that, how lucky is that? that. Ha, what a coincidence. I mean, I can't say it enough. I know I say it a lot, but I can't say it enough. You get that out of your vocabulary. Nothing happens to you that's lucky. Nothing is coincidence. We have a sovereign God who is in charge. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And we can take assurance in that. And so he had an appointment with her, and it was about the sixth hour. So, yeah, it's 12 noon. Now, you know, maybe there's many reasons why she couldn't go in the morning. I mean, I don't want to plant things that aren't there, but I, I just think it's okay to, you know, think, why would she come at 12 noon? It's the heat of the day. It's, it's um, a hard job. And, and culturally, the women did it early in the morning because they needed that water throughout the day. So they did it first thing in the morning when it wasn't hot. And, I mean, they're busy. How could they break away at noon? So many logical reasons say that this is not the time. This is unusual for this woman to come at 12 noon. But, you know, again, when you know the whole story, you try to just, you know, you put yourself in there. And it was very easy for me to put myself in there. And I'm thinking to myself, and again, maybe I'm all wrong. I'll talk to her about it someday. But right now, I'm just kind of perceiving that it could be that those other women didn't want her. I mean, if you've ever known what rejection is, if you've ever come in and... and um, 
I had this last Thursday, I have to say this to you, I had a Thursday, and of all lessons for it to happen on, it was a new gal, a new lady came in and sat in a chair that did not have a Bible on it or purse or anything. It looked like an open chair to her. And so she sat down. And she was waiting. She came early, and she sat down, and she sat, sat in that empty chair, and she was aisle, and she, she could see the front, and she, she was so excited to start her Bible study. And she had her Bible, and she was sitting there. And a lady came and said to her, would you please move? That's our seat. Now, I know that this older lady, I know it has, age has nothing to do with it, but, but she, she said, to the, would you, I mean, she said, please. But the idea was, she asked that lady to get up, even though the whole place was still open, and there were plenty of seats for her and her friend to sit, but those weren't the seats that she is used to. Well, I know that sounds minor, but I don't know, we, we women, we take that as a reject. It's a hard, it's like, what's the matter with me? Why don't you, I, it would have been easier if she said, can you just move down a couple of seats? Because, you know, we kind of sit here. I don't think that would have been bad. But she said, would you please move? That happened to me. That ha it happens. I was with my great aunt Maxine. Yeah. And she actually asked some new people to move. <laughs> I know it is hard. It's hard when somebody does that. And and I talked to the gal who did get up and move, you know, and um, and she. I said to her, I said, I am so sorry that that happened. And she said, I know. I tried to be brave. She said, I tried to be brave. She said, but you know, I just started, and and I just felt like you know I'm just not wanted, and I don't come with anybody. And you know, she felt that rejection. It feels terrible. I mean, and again, uh, I know because I stood at that school wall for humpteen years and everybody was picked except me. And then I remember one time the two people that were picking teams, they, it would have been so easy when they picked the last person that, that I just went to the next one, right? I mean, that's the two teams. It was automatic and I go, but... I heard them say, no, you take her. We had her last time. You take her. I heard them. They would rather have one less person on their team than have it be me. I mean, so I know. And so you know what I did? You know what I did? I played by myself. I played by myself so many times in my younger days because I was, you know, I sang on Jones Bible Hour. I was odd. I was different, and they didn't want me. And I think, you know, I get it. Why, why put yourself among that when you know there's going to be whispering and elbow jabbing and, and probably let's get ahead of the bigger walk behind us or whatever. You've been through that. You think, you know what, I just go by myself. It's safer, it's, um, it's less hassle, uh, you don't have to hear people's comments, you don't have to see the disgust on their face. So I'm thinking, you know, she probably had had so many episodes that she tried to be included, but she was rejected, and you know what, then enough is enough, I'll go by myself. 
So I think that this is, you know, again, maybe I'm reading more into it, but there's a reason why she was alone. And I know it was time perfectly. And Jesus loved her. And so the story goes that when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? See, he knows how to initiate conversation. He's got to get the ball rolling. And so he says to her, will you give me a drink? And she, of course, is shocked because, you know, and she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? I mean, she's saying, I've got every strike against me. I'm a woman, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and you're asking me for a drink? See, and here's the verse that really got me thinking. Verse 10, when Jesus said to her, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God, see, if you know who you are, I'm sure many people still think I'm odd. And I'm sure that there's many times that, that you know, um, that's just the way it is. But you know what? Now I don't care because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know what he has done. And I wear that, I wear that title, Child of the Most High. That is quite a title. And I don't have to put my head down to anybody you know, and I think this is what he is saying to this woman, to you and to me. We have a tendency to think we don't measure up or we think that, that we, we um, if you felt the pain of rejection and it's just easier to be alone, Jesus is saying, get your head up. You belong to me. And nothing or no one can take away from you what I've given you. And so he's got to initiate this conversation because he knows. And he says to her, if you knew, in other words, I'm going to change your life so you know who I am. You don't have to walk at noon alone anymore. And even if you do, you'll know you're not alone because I'm there. But we're going to see how not only does he change her, but he changes her so much that it's noticeable. And so anyway, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, living water. See, now Jesus is he's seven I am's. And here we're introduced to the I am the living water. It's something that when you have this living water in you, it just never stops. You just can't get enough. You just want more. That's why blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You love what it's doing to you, and you want more. And that's what he's saying. When you know me and what I've come to give you, then, then, um, yeah, sir, you have nothing to draw. You have no cup or anything, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? See, now you're going to watch Jesus' patience because does he expect us to know everything? Does No, he's going to take her step by step. So he's going to answer her questions, but that's what he loves about this woman is that she is asking questions. If you don't know something, 
ask them. If you want to know an answer, you go to the book that you t- just told me this morning. You believe that has everything you need. We so often run to so many other places and that, but he said, I want you to run to the living water. I want you to run to me. I want you to know me. So where are you, where are you going to get this living water? She asks. And then she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself and as he did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Now, you could, when you read that, you thought, is she being sarcastic? Is she saying, who do you think you are? Are you greater? You know, she knows, she doesn't know this man. And here he's talking about living water and if you knew and all this kind of thing. And she's thinking, yeah, he's quite, he must be quite important. You know, are you more important than our Jacob? Or is she, and I think it's this, I think it's more than this. I don't think she's sarcastic. I really think she's saying, I want to know, are you, are you greater than Jacob? Are you Jacob? And I think Jesus knows that. So if you have a question, it's the same thing. What is asking a question? I want an answer. If you seek, what does he promise? You will find but you have to want to seek. You've got to ask a question, which means you want to know. So she's asking, are you greater than our father Jacob? And then Jesus answers, because he loves it. When these questions come, he can't wait to explain. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. So, you know, our bodies need water. And we need um, it all day long. I mean, we, our bodies need water. And so we, we will drink and, and it will satisfy us for a time being. And then we will be thirsty again. So he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, whoever, here's your whoever again. So in other words, here's your choice. So whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. He fully satisfies. You, anything of this world, it might temporarily satisfy, but you'll get thirsty again. You'll want more. I mean, it's just the way our human nature goes. Oh, this is nice now, but pretty soon that's old, and you know what? I hear someone has this, and so now I want that too. I mean, it's just a trap. The world, the world thinks and tries to lie to you and tell you, if you have this, then you'll be satisfied. I think we are learning enough that there's nothing of this world that can totally satisfy. Except Jesus is saying, I can, I can satisfy you. When you know you're his child, that's going to be enough for you. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, does Jesus have a way with words or what? What beautiful language. My water will well up in you and it will be a spring of eternal life. The woman said, sir, I mean, again, she is just being so totally honest, you know, and and Jesus has got her captivated. He's got her curious 
about living water and never thirsting again. He's got her. He's got her. Oh, Jesus knows us so well. He knows how to get our attention, and he's got her attention. And so she says, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This will, this will eliminate so many problems, Jesus. I want him to come alone at noon, and I want him to love these pots. Yeah, bring it on. I'd just soon have this water. And so then Jesus knows, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to, you know, he's got her in the conversation. He's got her curious. Now it's time to get down to business. So he says, oh, go get your husband and then come on back. And I'll tell you, know, I'll take ages here and I'll tell both of you. I don't want him to miss it either. Well, you know, he knows very well. But here is something. This is going to be a, this is a statement. Now, go call your husband and then come back. You know, we sang this morning, he touched me. And we love it when we get to that. And, and he, his touch made me whole. But that touch isn't always warm and fuzzy. Sometimes when he touches us, it's like a prick. He's getting close. He's getting to the, the core of the matter. And all of a sudden, because he knows that we have, to be, we have to be up and honest. We've got to see ourselves for what we really are. We've got to be up front and, and um, show that we confess and repent that we really are a mess without him. And he says, go get your husband. Now, this, this woman right now, she is feeling pricked. There's no doubt in my mind. She's saying, ooh, that's a sore spot. And I don't know if I really, this is a stranger, and I know he's seeing a lot of good things, and he's got my attention here, but this is getting pretty close, and I'm going to have to, you know, what would have been so easy for her to do? It would have been so much easier for all of us. Instead of when we're being confronted and we're feeling uncomfortable and we're being convicted, what is the first thing our human nature wants to do? Run. Get away from that person. Get away from that feeling. And what kept her? What kept her? Because she could easily said, you know, really, it's none of your business. It's none of your business, and, and um, I'm, I'm out of here. And yet, she comes back in verse 17, and this is major. Because instead of doing what's normal with human nature, and that is, you know what, I'm not telling you. And besides, I don't really need to feel convicted and guilty in front of you, and I don't have to shed my dirty laundry in front of you, and uh, I'm just going to, like I do every other time, I just might as well go by myself. But this time, she was stuck. She was stuck right there in a beautiful stuck because... I think out came verse 17, and I think it shocked her, too. I think it really did shock her when she admitted. I mean, this is out of her mouth comes, I have no husband. I mean, those were hard words to say. That's admission. He drew it out of her. But what, what draws, what does Jesus have that just keeps us um, 
what does his face, when he looks at us, does he, and we learned this last week, does he look at us in condemnation? No, he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. And there's a different in your look, if you're looking at someone in condemnation, whether you're looking at someone in unconditional love. And it's unconditional love every time that will, will keep someone there. The minute you start condemning, they're out of there. And at first, I'm sure, you know, maybe his tone was such, so when he, when he said, go call your husband, she didn't get that. Oh, no, that's that condemnation tone. Jesus didn't have that because he didn't come to condemn. He came to save her. And out of him came this unconditional love and, you know what else, acceptance Someone probably in years is accepting her the way she is and doesn't pass judgment. This person is, is looking at me and, and just has me stuck to that face of love. And so out of, out of her comes, I have no husband, and, and she is there. She is now putty in his hands, but that's what Jesus does. He, he does make us like putty in his hands. When you realize, I can tell him anything. I can be upfront with him about anything because obviously he knows everything. So when he says, you're right, you're right. In fact, I'm sure he's saying, good job. You admitted it. You didn't run. You didn't come back at me with some defensive mechanism. You admitted it. And, she, and he loved that. And you know what? I bet she already started feeling free. Whew, that felt good. That felt good to just say the truth. You're right. You and you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. Now, I know that it can mean that, you know how it was in that culture, that when, when um, someone, if you lost a husband, the brother came in, you know? And then if that happened to the brother, then the next brother, you know? So I'm telling you, this woman could have been killing him off and just, you know, marrying one brother after another. But I don't think so. Now, now, when, now when you hear what she says in her testimony... She knows who she is. I think this poor woman, like I said before, is so used and abused and tossed out and rejected. And, and, and probably living with some other guy who's probably doing the same to her because she doesn't feel she deserves anything better. I mean, she's in a bad way, and she has got the, the ultimate face of love, accepting her for who she is, the whole premise of this story is that Jesus looks at every one of us in the same way because every one of us needs him the way she does. Sir, I, I, I can see that you're a prophet. I can see you're a prophet. In other words, I mean, you obviously, you don't know me from Adam. I mean, you don't know me, and yet you just told my life story. So you must be a prophet. Now, verse 20, at first I thought, well, maybe she's, you know, let's get off this subject. 
let's just, you know, maybe divert to another, another area so we don't have to stay here about how pathetic I am. But I think even more so than a diversion, I think she is again questioning, like, whoa, I, I obviously am in the presence of someone who can tell me everything I've been and everything I've done. So she says, I think it's again out of her question and out of her curiosity, our fathers. And again, how often don't we believe because what we've been told to believe? I mean, I think back in my heritage, love and appreciate my heritage, but there's some things that my grandma and grandpa got wrong. Love them to pieces. I just cherish them to pieces. And then that passed down to my mom and dad. And, and we all thought we were following suit. And everybody does the same thing. And everybody's, you know. But some of the, it had to stop. Because man got in there with their rules. And it overtook the main premise of the joy of our salvation. That we need to come needy before him and that we are saved only by the blood of Jesus, not by going to church twice and having a white or pink peppermint at sermon time. And I mean, we had rituals that we did. And she is saying here, or she is saying here, you know, you know I've been taught. I've been taught since I, you know, because the Samaritans, they studied the first five books of Moses. That's all. That's all they studied. And so she said, and, and I think she's been taught. She's not dumb. And she's, she knows someone taught her somewhere in her childhood or whatever. She was taught. She said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And it probably was in the vicinity. So when she said this mountain, it was a mountain that was, um, it was, it was, blessed by Moses, and it was commanded for the people to worship there, and the mountain's name was Gerizim, and so it was a real mountain, and it probably was right there, so she said, I've been taught that, that we worship, Samaritans worship on this mountain, and then she's learned, she's learned too, though, that you Jews, you Jews, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, she knows. And then Jesus comes back and says, see, you know, you, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to change this whole idea of worship. I'm going to tell you that you can worship anywhere, anytime, any style, because it isn't about you. It's about me. And when you have me within you, worship can continue anywhere, anytime, and in any way. So believe me, woman, he calls her. Now, who did he call woman a couple weeks ago? His mom. So do you think this, look, he looks at her. Is he loving her? Yeah, as much as he loves his mama. He is endeared to this woman. He loves her. He sees her as a soul, just like he with Mary, just like with Mary. I'm calling you woman. I'm not calling you mom. I'm calling you woman because you need salvation just like anybody else. 
So he calls her woman, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, because you're going to be worshiping me. And I live inside of you. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. See, there's that, there's that sad line again. What are we missing because we don't know? You know, we, we miss so many blessings because um, we just were taught. I remember, I remember asking somebody about what they believed in the revelation. I said, what, do, you, do you believe in the second coming? Do you, um, do you believe um, the rapture or do you not believe in the rapture? You know, and they said, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, um, no one ever told me. I mean, you know, that's not a subject you talk about. And that, I mean, I don't remember talking and discussing Revelation as a kid. You didn't talk about it. You didn't, you know, and I'm telling you, I'm starting to realize that I missed a lot by, you know, just following the routine and this, you go to church this time and this time and you go to Sunday school and you go to youth group and you go to catechism and, and, you know, you just do it. But why? I can know all the facts, but do I get it? The simple 101 truth of the gospel is that I'm a Samaritan woman. I am a sinner. So when Jesus said, you Samaritans worship what you, don't, what you don't even know. We worship what we do know. And what does he know? He knows that salvation comes from the Jews. He knows that is a fact. That's the truth. Salvation is found in none other. There is no name under heaven by which we can be saved. And why does salvation come from the Jews? Because he chose that nation to come through. Yet a time is coming. And it's like, and actually, it's here now. True worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. From what we're seeing, remember how in the second chapter we, we saw that many people were seeing Jesus' miracles and they were believing, and yet he did not entrust himself to them. Because he can tell if it's just a bunch of fluff and it's just you doing what everybody else is doing and it's a thing we do because this is what I was taught I must do and that kind of thing. It's not really a game, and yet it's not real. I wonder how many are missing the real because, and I think it's so, Jesus is just spelling it out so clear. Because this woman, she knew a lot, but she was missing. And then, and then when he says, the father, the kind of worship worshipers the father seeks are the ones who he can tell from their heart that's why he says, true worshipers, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I got a little messed up this week with what's capitalized, what's not capitalized, and, and I think that, at least in my NIV, I don't usually say this, but I think they got it wrong a couple times. <laughs> because when they said, um, God is spirit, 
It's little as spirit, and I don't believe that God is ever a little as spirit. And I've never done this before, but I corrected it in my Bible because I went in other versions, and it's a capital S. So if you have a little S, I do believe God is spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's three persons, and the third person of the Godhead is Holy Spirit, and that's capitalized because he's God. Now, I got to say, I wish that the whole kid and caboodle was, was capitalized because he said, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I wish that S was capitalized. I wish T was capitalized. Because a true worshiper, now I get the little less spirit is, is me, is inside of me. But the Holy Spirit, capital S Spirit, is inside of me too. And real worship is when little S Spirit and capital S Spirit come together. And he's saying that real worship is when the Holy Spirit activates truth in our life. And what is truth? That I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And praise God, I've got one. And I continuously need to be cleansed and I continuously need to cling to him. And I got to continuously be reminded that I am changed. And when I see old nature come back, that's got to be changed. And he can tell. He can tell. Even though the outward thing is going strong and people will think, whoa, she, she's a spirited one. She is really into this and that. But he can tell a real worshiper. That's why it's not where, it's not when, it's not even how. We get so caught up with the outward stuff of worship that we forget that he knows my heart and he knows if I'm really worshiping or not. And I might be able to fool people around me because I'm doing all the right things, but he can tell the worshiper that he wants is one that worships with the Holy Spirit and with truth, that you are awed by who he is and what he's done for you. The woman said, I know, I know that Messiah. I know that Messiah, and he's coming. I know that Messiah is coming. And I'm thinking, see, she does know. Maybe when she was spending all that time by herself, maybe she was reading a little more than the five books. Maybe she skipped Isaiah. Who knows? Because to me, she knows the Messiah, and she knows that he's coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus, can you, can you imagine how excited Jesus was to tell this woman who does, who is engaged in conversation, who has confessed and has stood there and, and admitted and shows she wants to know more? That's just who Jesus loves so much. He can see in our heart if we want more. I think he was so excited to be able to say, I who speak to you am he. He reveals himself to her. That is, that is life-changing. When he reveals himself to you and I, 
we have to come to him knowing and we have to confess that we've got to lay it all out there. And then he comes and reveals himself. I'm the one who can take care of all that for you. Okay, leave that there for a minute. Then, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Oh, you, can you about imagine what's going through their mind? <gasps> she's, she's talking to a Samaritan woman. However, they're learning real quick, but no one asked, what do you want? What do you want? Why are you talking with her? I laughed out loud. I thought, they're learning. Don't question him. They might have wondered, what's he doing? Because they too need to be changed because they're following the routine and we're not supposed to talk to women. We're not supposed to talk to Samaritans. Jesus is going to show. Jesus is going to even show these men. I'll show you who I came for. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, slave, free, everyone, the world. He's going to tell, he's going to teach them that. Then, and then here, look, you can tell, she now, she, she's been set free because she is on a mission. She, you can tell, leaving her water jar, leaving her water jar, that is something you don't do. They're, they're valuable. You need it every day. You just don't leave it. But she doesn't even think about that water jar because she's got more important things on her mind. She is heading back to town. Now, she can't wait to go back to the people that have made her feel smaller than small. She's going back to the people that made her feel that she was worthless. That they didn't even want to be with or be seen with. And she wants to go back to them. Wouldn't you think that in your human nature you would say, you know what, I'm not going to tell them the good news after all. I'm going to go to another, I'm new and I'm going to go to a new place. I'm going to start all over. They can just rot for all I care. It's called revenge, you know, and it's just so natural a human being. And yet this woman, she leaves her pot because she can't wait to go back to those people. Probably because she knows they really do need it. And now all of a sudden, it's like her head is raised. She doesn't put her head down anymore. She, she doesn't care what anybody's saying. Sure, her head is raised. Jesus revealed himself to her. And her head is raised, and she doesn't want those people to miss. Look what she did when she goes back to the town, and she said to the people, what's the first word she says to the people? Come, come. That's an invitation. She is inviting them. You've got to come. And then what did she admit? She is admitting everything that they know about her. She dares admit it. Out it comes. He told me everything I am, everything I've ever done. She's not ashamed. She's not, she's not embarrassed anymore. She says, got to come. You got to come and see this. There's a man who told me everything I've ever done. And I think she had a look about her. Countenance, behavior is very important, but countenance is important too. And I'm sure that this woman, when she said, come, there was an unconditional love coming out of her face and, and uh, a radiancy 
that they couldn't help but notice, like, hey, she's the, you know, she's that, she's that woman. And now look at her. She's admitting she's not embarrassed, she's not ashamed. She looks forgiven to me. She's set free, and she's saying, come. And then she said, could this be, could this be that Christ, see, she, she knows more. She's looking. She's, she's expecting. Look what the Pharisees, they don't want to see. They're just mad. They're just threatened. This woman is curious enough, could it be? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now, all she did was what? And this is where, what a lesson for us. All she did was what? Invite him. And tell what? Her story. All she told him was her story. She didn't, she didn't have a finger in their face. She didn't say, and you better, and you know, if you don't, and all this kind of thing. She just said, come. You got to see for yourself. She knows she can't save them. But she sure can be the one to invite. It's kind of like that. Remember I told you about that woman in Meyer in the banana section and she bumped in my cart and she was just a hopeless mess and she knew it. This was, she said, you're my last resort. You better have something for me because I just don't feel that my life is worth living anymore. And the Lord brought me to Meyer today and I thought, well, at least we got the Lord included in here. And, uh, but then I did say to her, I put my arm around her right there in Meyer in the banana section. I put my arm around her and I said to her, because she said, you better do something. And I said to her, I, can't, I don't have that kind of power, but I sure can lead you to the one who does. And how I prayed with her in Meyer in the banana section, and she left that day different than when she came in. It's because Jesus is, gives people the hope that they need. If, you're look, if you want to see the light, if you are desperate and want the light, it's there. And, he, and his light happened to be in Meyer in the banana section, in my form. But that was the light of Jesus for her. And because she had just a little bit of inkling to want that light, that's all she needed. And that's what this woman knew. She knew that she couldn't save, but she could invite them to the one who could well, meanwhile, the disciples, the disciples come back, and they, they, they're legitimate. They, they think, come on, Jesus, you got to eat. But, you know, Jesus always has a lesson. Remember when I told you that my grandson Jonas always said to me, can't you watch one movie without finding some lesson in it? You know, and, and it's true, but... You don't want to miss anything. You think if there's a lesson in something, and I think Jesus was so like that. He was so, you know, I mean, yeah, he needed physical food, but, but he, wanted, he wanted to teach them this great lesson about food, about being satisfied. It's another one of the I am's. He's the bread. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. We need these things. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know. And of course, they're thinking, you know, oh, somebody feed him and we didn't see or whatever, you know. And he's saying, oh, I got to tell you about the real food. The food that satisfies you is when you're smack dab in the center of God's will. 
And you want to be in God's will. You want nothing less than being in God's will. Even if it might not be your will, you're learning, you're getting to know, and you don't want to miss. His will is perfect. And then he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. We all, when we live our lives for Jesus, we all have different, I mean, some sow, some, some water, you know, some harvest, and we all have different jobs, and he will give us what we need to do the job. But he is, Jesus is saying, that's the saying, that's the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. In other words, he's saying, watch, you watch what's going to happen, and you're going to have to finish what someone else has started. Others have done the hard work. He calls the hard work. And you have, you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And what, he, what I think is the very next verse is many of the Samaritans from the town believed him and became and, and because of the woman's testimony, and there came, and I think he's saying, you stand here and you watch what's coming over the hill. And you're going to be able to lead these people to me, and that's, that's going to be your job. And it's not that it isn't important, but the person that did the hard work was go back to that town where everybody abused her. And she dared say, come. He told me everything I've done. And I admitted. And he changed my life. To me, that was the hard part. And he's saying, you're going to be able to be the ones to help me reap this. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and so he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more believed and became believers. Now here's the classic. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because, just because. That doesn't mean that her, her testimony wasn't important. But they realized she could only tell her story, but that story was enough to bring him to the one now we have heard for ourselves, and we know, and we know. Before they were missing it, if it wasn't for this woman daring to go back, they wouldn't know. And now they know what? They know that this man really is the savior of the world. That is quite the story. That's you and me, though. That's our job. Do we love to tell the story? Do we really believe that the story of Jesus is going to be what we're all going to be talking about in heaven? That's going to be our theme because there's not a one of us that's going to be there without the story of Jesus in our life personally. That one-on-one -on -one confrontation, confession, curiosity, ask questions, want to know more, don't want to miss. Then two days later, he went and he arrived in Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him and they had seen all what he had done in Jerusalem. And once more he visited Cana and he returned where he turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. 
when, when this man arrived, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now, I think that there were two times in this one chapter that Jesus showed us, shows us that he will um, spiritually challenge us to see what we really believe. I think he did that to the spiritual woman, and I think he does it to this official. Because he comes and he's demonstrating, I mean, he's begging, you come to heal my son, he's close to death. And Jesus comes back with this. And, and at first I read it and I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of harsh. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him. You know, you can just hear Jesus, unless you people, you need a sign and you need a wonder, unless you have one, you'll never believe. It's kind of like that Canaanite woman. We thought Jesus was a little cruel to her, but I think when he was walking, he had that little smirk on his face. I think he had the same one. He knows, but he wants to hear that man. He wants, to, he wants that man to say, I can't do it without you. He'll challenge you and I. He'll come back maybe with something we don't like or understand. And he's saying, I'm just going to spiritually challenge you to see if you're just a bunch of hot air and emotion or whether you really want to know. Because look, when the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies, to Jesus, he said, oh, you're the real thing. You do believe in me from the depths of your soul. And how do we know that he did? When Jesus said, you may go, your son will live. Look at, there was no conversation. There wasn't, um, well, I prove it. Can you give me a few more things? And that's what us, we want. Uh, I'll believe in you, Lord, but uh, give me a little, little start on how this is going to turn out. You know this man's heart was right because when Jesus said, you may go, your son will live, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. There was no, yeah, well, I really need a little more. No, I believe God's word said it. Remember that old song that said, God said it and I believe it and that settles it. We should be singing that far more in our, in our minds. God said it, that settles it. No debate, no question. This is what he wants from us. Why, why, did, he, why did those water big, um, big jars have to be filled to the brim? He wants us filled to the brim so there's no room for us all for our yah buts. He wants us believing him to the brim, trusting him to the brim, relying on him to the brim. I'll never read that, that miracle again. Even the detail of filled to the brim. So he took Jesus at his word and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that this boy, that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to when the time, what time the man, the son got better, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said, your son will live. And he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. He wastes nothing. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson today. May we so take it to heart. May we see ourselves as the Samaritan woman. You want to so engage in conversation with us. You want to reveal yourself to us. You know we need to confess and admit who we are. And when we do, you want us to go and serve you because we love you, because you've given life to us. All our heartaches, our broken pieces, you took care of it. We are a child of God. May we wear that today in everything we do and say and how we look to this world in Jesus' name. Amen.